0: Thank you, Dan. It's uh, always a privilege to see a church that is serving together and uh, doing these kinds of activities to help advance the gospel. That's what we're here for. It's uh, also good to um, have a sermon series that actually speaks to this, (laughs) because when you go and you work hard, you're going to face some conflict. And uh, both for the Builders for Christ and the... uh, the youth that are going on the uh, their youth uh, retreat uh, camp this week. Uh, there will be conflict in the things that you do uh, just because we're human, and uh, we have that old sinful nature that we're working on. Paul actually was trying to tell the people of Philippi, those who were at the church there, about his uh, uh, about how to work together in the face of conflict. His tender love for the church and the believers uh, resulted in him having a dilemma, which we talked about last time we were in this book, and that he either uh, was to stay with them or to go to be with the Lord, being in prison. uh, He felt that it was for him to live as Christ and to die as gain. And as a result, he's trying to share with them how Uh, they can minister and serve, and to tell them about a couple of things that are going to happen if they choose to be faithful to Jesus Christ. And as a result, we come up with these verses here where Paul writes to them about one, one more thing, just one more thing he wants to tell them. So I invite you to turn to the book of Philippians. It's right after Ephesians. And right before Colossians, I believe, yeah. And uh, it's one of Paul's prison letters. And this is what he writes. Uh, If you note chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's uh, the famous statement we made. And then in verse 27, this is what Paul writes. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God, for it has been Granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. And may God bless the reading of his word. Regardless of what happens uh, in Paul's life, whether he, he is able to return, he does die a martyr's death. This is one of the pleas that he has. Whether he comes to you, he says in verse uh, 27, whether he's able to make it back to the Philippians to see them or to remain absent, he wants to hear about what they're doing. He wants to hear the good report of their service and their work. He wants to share with them that they can work together in conflict even as he's working together in the conflict of his predicament. He's in prison. Is he going to get out? He may not. He may die. He may live. But regardless of that problem, regardless of the conflict that it causes, Paul knows that we are to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel, a manner that brings honor to God, Uh, um, live in a way that other people hear about our faithfulness and they take heart and encouragement because we remain faithful. So Builders for Christ, as you go on this trip and youth, as you take off, you need to conduct yourself and to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus and the worthy of the kingdom of, of God and, and what that means. So there are four things that we can learn to help us do that. Four, four items that will remind us when we go and we're tired and it's hot and there's no air conditioning in that building and you're working hard and you're you didn't get very good sleep the night before, and you know, and maybe somebody put too many onions in the pot or something, and it just starts to bother you. Your big toe hurts, or your muscles that you, you're exercising haven't been exercised in a good while, and all of that seems to push and push, and yet at the same time, it's an opportunity to give God the glory for suffering for Jesus as well as living for Him. And just remember that these things can help us keep us centered about why we do things like this. The same way with the youth, it doesn't always, they're tired, they're up, there are all kinds of things, it's difficult, maybe they haven't been away from home that long, and just things are going in a way that uh, can create a lot of conflict and a lot of drama, you know, and that seems to be the middle name of youth sometimes, drama. But uh, you can you can hold on to these principles and understand how they can help us as we come through these circumstances. The interesting thing of all is this is also good for the church, you know. And we're going to have a business meeting here after the service, so we don't know. There's always, you know, always this famous thing about bat- the battling Baptists and their business meetings, you know. And we can have conflict any time in a church, in the ministry, but... If we remember these four things, God helps us to make it through and to do things that are honoring Christ so that people can see our example and they can hear about it, and whether they're here present or whether they hear about it later, they can give glory to God because we have learned how to live in the right way in a manner that is honors the gospel and honors Jesus Christ, either with each other's relationships, with our family's relationships, with the world's relationships out there as well. Uh, this phrase, he says just one thing, as uh, he wants us to live in a way that we are uh, showing what Christ Jesus means to us. So number one, we want to start off here, is live in the right kingdom. Now, sometimes uh, we forget this, and uh, we sort of um, don't uh, hold it in the right perspective, and Paul is reminding them in a very artful way that they have to kind of stop for a minute and ponder what kingdom they belong to. And so he says here in the very first part of verse 27, just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life as citizens of heaven live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ as citizens of heaven live your life as worthy of the gospel of Christ and what does that mean well interestingly enough the other versions translate this something like conduct yourselves or strive to do things but Paul uses a word here that is very interesting it means politics so he's clearly arguing that we need to understand the politics of life and the politics of life are that when we come to know Christ we come to be a part of a different kingdom we are no longer part of our human physical kingdoms here we are Americans of course but our allegiance changes to Christ Jesus, and we're part of his kingdom. And he tells the people at Philippi that they are supposed to um, live in a way that people recognize their true citizenship. The true citizenship is that they're part of Christ's kingdom. So what happens is that there are certainly principles that the Philippians were living under uh, they, were, uh, they were part of the Roman Empire. They knew exactly why he used this term, because they knew that, that they were supposed to live in such a way that honors their Roman citizenship, that honors the Caesar, that honors the, the fact that they are a Roman colony. But Paul is trying to tell them that they need to honor the kingdom of God, honor the Christian kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, realize that people are watching them and that they need to be a witness that they belong to the right kingdom. The world out there focuses on all kinds of stress and all kinds of drama, and that drama sometimes comes about because it's based upon things that don't matter for time and eternity. Little petty things. Self-centered things, you know, we get kind of all upset and we make it a big deal. But the truth is we need to start to understand the principles of the kingdom, the Christ-like principles that causes us to live with love, with concern, with grace, looking out for the blessings and for the benefits of others rather than focusing selfishly upon ourselves. We need to realize that as part of the politics of the Christian kingdom, that all of the way we act and the way that we are supposed to carry ourselves and make decisions has to be worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ. That Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins, to pay the ransom, and that it is through him and through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to seek the grace that God gives us. Jesus told the disciples to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his or God's righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The principle is that we need to recognize when we work, when we do things, when we wind up being tired and stressful, that we need to remember that we are ambassadors for Christ. We're part of his kingdom and people will watch us. And as they say, it can take a lifetime to gain a reputation and less than a second to lose it. So we need to make sure that what we do glorifies Jesus, and Paul's going to tell us that God gives us the grace to live for Jesus in different circumstances. But we need to live by the laws of our real kingdom. The kingdom of God, not the world around us, not what is acceptable, not what is cultural, not what other people do, but what Christ would have us to do. And if we put on a Christ-like spirit and we're willing to look to him, to seek our help from him and to trust him, then we'll be able to stand as citizens of a different kingdom. And it would be great for people to automatically see that we belong to Christ. And that we are living the right kingdom, in the right kingdom, in the right way. And we honor Christ when we do that. So one of the concepts is is that we need to make sure we live in the right kingdom. Let's not decide that we're going to go live in a different kingdom. But as Christians, we need to live with Christ as our Savior and as our Lord. In the second part of verse 27, number two, Paul says that we need to stand firm in unity. He says that right here in verse 27. Then whether I come and see you or I am absent, I will hear something about you precisely. I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. Standing firm in one spirit. That word standing is a very important word the standing firm in one spirit or one mind is important because you're doing a work that requires unity. You're not going to have a party, actually. You're not going for your own self and 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 grandizement. How's that word go that way? Uh, you're not going to just have your own fun, and lay in the shade in the sun, or just enjoy things. There, you're there for a purpose, and the purpose is to. For the Builders for Christ help your sister church build a building, build a way in which they can reach out into their community, help their church members grow, but also bring the gospel message to others. When you go on a youth trip, you're not just there for the fun. You're also there to grow, grow together in the unity of a, of a youth group, grow together in Loving Christ and showing how to show others you love Christ and also to kind of explore and think prayerfully about how you can reach other youth for Jesus Christ. So there are a lot of things that you're doing, too, that requires a unity. And you're not just one, and you're not the one to only please, but you're there to please Christ. And so you're there for the group. You're there for the team. And one of the things that Paul does here is that he uses a word that would have been known very well to the, uh, the uh, Philippians. He uses this word that says stand firm or stand fast, that you are standing fast um, for uh, in one spirit. Now, why would they know that term? Well, because the Roman uh, city of Philippi was named after Philip of Macedon. Now, if I get my Greek history correct, I think that's the father of uh, Alexander the Great. And Philip of Macedon is is well famous. He was well known. We don't know who he is, but back in the day in, in, in the people of Philippi, they named Philippi after Philip of Macedon. Why did they do that? Well, because Philip did something that a lot of people don't realize that Alexander the Great took advantage of. If Philip hadn't have done this, the father of Alexander the Great, Alexander the Great wouldn't be great at all, and we probably wouldn't know about him. But what Philip did was that he invented an army tactic that's called the Macedonian phalanx. I don't know if you ever heard of that before, but they didn't have uh, guns and bombs. They had spears and, and, and swords. And they would get in a stance that the unit, the uh, platoon, and they would lower their spears and march forward. And no one could attack them. They would stand firm in the, fen- in the face of attack as they defended themselves, but also they would move forward in attack. And it was called the famous Macedonian phalanx. And Philip was the one who got that going, got his army together. And Alexander the Great, if I understand the history correctly, correctly, utilized it to make an empire of the whole ancient world. And Paul is telling them, because they know this, That what they need to do in their new kingdom is to stand firm, like the Macedonian phalanx. To be able to defend their position. To be able to move forward and to conquer. And the point of this is that they are supposed to be able to, to stand in one spirit. Now, this is not, I think, a reference primarily to the Holy Spirit, although certainly we have the responsibility to look to him as our Lord and Savior. But I think Paul here is trying to say that they're supposed to have this spirit of unity, the goal of unity that motivates them, that they have a mission, their mission is, the, Philippi, the Philippians' mission is to win all of Philippi for Christ Jesus. The goal of our work that we do as a church is to win Liberty and, and Kansas City North for all of, uh, for Jesus Christ, all of them, to stand fast and firm in the conviction that that is our task, that is our responsibility. That God put us here in this church, in this place way back in 1846 to win the people around us who are lost for Jesus Christ. To stand fast in the conviction that this is our task. Our task isn't to have a country club. Our task is not to be us four and no more. To pick and choose who we want. Our task should do no other thing than to please God by sharing the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to everyone. We must stand firm in one spirit. And Paul says, I want to hear that. Whether I'm able to be able to get out of this prison, out of these chains and come to you, or whether I just hear it because people are talking about it, I want to be able to to know that you are standing together in this task and you're standing firm in unity to help the people around them, the people of the city of Philippi, to know Christ Jesus as Lord. Now, this is important for us as we go out as a church, as you go out as builders for Christ and as youth Youth, You want to be able to stand firm that your job is to show Christ Jesus and the things you do and the things that you say. So one thing that you could always ask is yourself and your group, you can say, will this give glory to Jesus Christ? Will this act that I do, will this thing that I say, will this attitude that I have give glory to Jesus Christ? Is this a personal decision that only satisfies me, myself, and no one else? Or is this something that will help grow the church, help Jesus be known, help the gospel be preached? Can I stand firm in knowing that my goal is to help others to grow, to know of Christ and to grow? And my goal is also to grow deeper in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to stand firm in doing that. Now, Paul tells us the third thing, which is to work together with one purpose by combining um, a word here that sometimes is a little bit tricky because we can read this verse where he says, I I will hear about you that you are standing firm. This is in verse uh, 27 still, that you are standing firm in one spirit and one accord. And then take those two together and then go, in the next case, say, contending together for the faith of the gospel. But I think Paul splits them because Paul is a good Jewish writer, and this is called parallelism. And it's called grammatically fronting the the second point. So I'm going to read it this way, that he says, I will hear that you are standing firm. Uh, you're standing firm in one spirit. Break. Then in one accord contending together for the faith of the gospel. You see what I'm saying here? I don't want to put them two to, the two together and, and separate the idea that they are to contend together in one accord for the gospel. So I'm trying to say that they're supposed to also work together for one purpose. And that's another point, in fact. Well, I just heard today that somebody asked the question, what car would the, uh, would the uh, uh, apostles drive? And for that matter, what, what car would the uh, early Christians drive? And I couldn't think one. They said, well, of course, the Honda. I said, why? Well, it says they were all in one accord. <laughs> okay, but I would think that'd be pretty packed. 12, Twelve apostles in one accord. But nevertheless, I'm trying to say that in one spirit goes striving in one spirit. Now, there's similar concepts, but striving, standing firm in one spirit, one, all together in unity, but contending in one accord. Uh, what that means is that you don't have lone rangers running around. What that means is that the purpose that you're supposed to do is clear and understandable. Builders for Christ, you're going to help them build, right? You can't have somebody go over there and say, oh, I'm going to work on this section just because I want to, because it may not help. You, you, know, you know, everybody has to be working together to get the task done. In one uh, statement, that this really is in one, this word in, in one mind, it's actually the word we get psyche from. In one psyche, one mind, one heart, We're going to be contending, which means working or uh, intending. Actually, I'll tell you what it means in a minute, but we're going to do this with one mind, one, one purpose. We're going to do this together because you can't have lone rangers going out there. You want to be able to figure out how to do the work of God together, being led by the Holy Spirit, being led by God through Christ Jesus to be able to build up the kingdom and the faith. So in your youth, you can't all hide and have drama and sulk and go away and by yourselves. The purpose is to learn how to interact and how to grow as a human and grow as a Christian and, and uh, utilizing that, that God-given brain. I know some parents don't quite sure whether their kids have this or not, but God has given them a brain and a heart and a mind, you know, And they're growing, they're learning and they're growing, but the purpose is to join together in that way to literally contend, as uh, Paul says here, contending together for the faith of the gospel, which is, uh, I, I think this is really important, that he's saying the faith of the gospel is what we're growing into. We do it as builders for Christ, we do it as youth, we do it as the church, we're called to do that being contenders together. Now, what I like about this is that Paul uses another word. Remember I said he used the word about the politics, being in the right kingdom, and this word standing firm is is the Macedonian phalanx. Well, he uses this word contending in another way that gives a beautiful picture, a metaphor, if you will, about how to do this. And that word has to do with athletics. You are to contend together as in an athletic contest, as a team with your heart and your mind. In, in an athletic context, you are striving together in concert, everyone doing his part. It's like a 400-yard 400, uh, 400 or whatever that is relay. That you're running together, but you're doing your part, but you're handing it off. And everybody's doing their part together. You're a team. And that's what he's talking here about, contending together. Team it up. Recognize that you're a team. And you're going to work together in that team attitude for the purpose of helping other people hear about Christ Jesus. And what it means to have faith in him. And you're working together to grow and in that faith yourself, but also to help others know about this faith. And they're seeing your example, and you're working together. There's not a bunch of lone rangers, everybody going, look, you're not cats. No one can herd cats. It doesn't work, okay? We need to be uh, uh, lambs for Christ and be led by Him and the shepherd who leads us and we do the right kinds of things. In this case, Paul is saying you're in a contest, and it is an athletic context, and the Philippians would have known this because they would have participated in the Olympiads, the Olympics, and they would have understood the role of, 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 of doing the athletics. Greeks and the athletics were very important, and the Romans took that over, and they're saying, let's do this together. So you're part of a team. And that team attitude helps you to realize that you've got one purpose. You're standing together firm in unity, but you're working together in that one purpose as well. You can't have Lone Rangers in this. Being part of the kingdom means that we're there to help others grow in Christ Jesus and to share with others what this means. This means that you can, you can do so many different things. You can pray together, um, do your part, understand what it means to be part of the body of Christ, that you work together, all pulling hard uh, on the same rope, uh, in the sense, to do this. The very energy of the Christian faith demands that we join together to do it. And that's what churches are supposed to do in unity. And that's important as well. Now we get out of verse 27, actually, and we go to verse uh, 28 through 30. So number four is to take courage. And Paul explains this in a little bit more details, but he gives us so much in verse 27 that teaches us about how we can work together um, and honor Christ. And so that when Paul, either he gets to go back to Philippi or he hears about them, he knows that they are Uh, working hard together and giving God the glory. So one of the things that Paul wants them to understand as far as uh, facing conflict is to take courage. And you wonder why. Well, why is he saying to take courage? Well, because if we serve Christ, there is going to be conflict. And it may not come from within. It may come from without. And so Paul tells them this as as well. So let's look in verse 28. He says, don't be afraid. Um, your task will be hard and you will face some adversaries. So look at verse 28, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. You will face adversaries. You know what? If you're a church and you don't face adversaries, you're not really a church. If you're a Christian and there aren't people who are against you, you may not be a Christian. If things are going well and smooth and nobody wants to rock the boat, it may be evidence that there isn't any activity going on that's Christian. That's part of the belief that God has called us to. Paul tells them there will be adversaries. There will be people who will be your opponents. They will stand in front of you. They will try to make you stop. They will try to dis to uh, derail you in the purpose and the things that you do, try to substitute a false purpose, one that doesn't matter for time and eternity, and you need to learn to take a stand and realize that there will be opponents. But don't be afraid of them, because greater is the one in us than the one in them. Greater is God in us to accomplish his work than in them, It's a matter of, of, of amazement and wonder to see how our great God works. Now, God does this and, and uses this in a couple of different ways. You can say, well, why would a holy God allow this? Well, because he wants to grow us deeper. I mean, we learn by doing the hard stuff. And we work to do the hard stuff. And we understand the accomplishments that come when we do the hard stuff. But we will always have... Adversaries, they will come. But the presence of adversaries isn't necessarily uh, bad for us because God is using us to show us that we are actually serving Christ. Listen to what he says here. This is uh, Don't be afraid by uh, any way of your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them. Uh, but a sign of your salvation, and this is from God. So look at what he says here. The prince of power of this age will not leave you alone, and it is a sign that you are doing the right thing, but it is also a sign of their destruction because they are opposing you, and their opposing you is opposing God. And if you're doing the right thing, they're going to try and stop you, but they're going to be opposing not just you, but the holy, heavenly God who created the world. And he will take care of them. And this is a way to indicate that you're doing something right. Your salvation here is not something you work out, but it means it's a, it's a way of, of the clue saying, hey, you are a believer. You have, you have come to know Christ. Jesus is Lord. If there's never any conflict in your life about being a follower of Christ, then the question ought to be, well, are you a follower of Christ? Because all the world will persecute us because we try to follow Christ. The adversaries will show you that you are serving Christ. And then he says, and this is from God. Verse uh, 29, For it is granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Wow, that's a term we don't like to hear. But it is given as a grace. And this word, granted, means the grace of God. God has gifted us with this. Jesus died on the cross, and He gifted us with grace and mercy. And it shows us God's mercy and grace that we're living a life, a godly life for Christ Jesus. Paul wrote to Timothy in his second letter, in chapter 3 and verse 12, he said, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's no question about it. If you want to live a godly life for Christ, there will be people who will stand up against you. We're not out there to make friends and warm fuzzies and sing kumbaya all the time. We're out there to tell the Christ who died on the cross to pay the ransom for our sins. And that's offensive to the world because they don't want to hear about their sins. And they just want to listen to Satan who said, did God say that you couldn't eat from any of the trees in the garden? Because we knew that when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the garden, sin entered into the world. And sin is something that people want to hold on to sometimes for every single ounce of their being to hold on to it and to fight against those who want to show them a way to be forgiven. This gift is to believe. It says here, For it's been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for him. And Paul plays a little word play here. It's sort of like what we call these two words, "sotirios," um, I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry, faith, pistuin, and paskean. They're sort of the similar, pistuin and paskean. So you got the pistuin, the faith, but you have to also have the paskean, the suffering. So the faith comes, and then the opponents come, and then we can suffer for Jesus. It's hard to develop unity. It's hard to do the work. It's hard to struggle and do things. But it builds faith. And it's also something we're doing for suffering. Now, I've never understood how people can go off to these paradise places, you know, go off to Hawaii and suffer for Christ. But (laughs) even in paradise, there's sin, and wherever we are, there's sin. And we better get a hold of it because we'll suffer for it if we stand up for Christ Jesus. People will turn their backs on us and will not like us. And it will Satan will come up and say, oh, see, you're just causing conflict. And if you didn't say anything, then you'd be fine. Everybody would love you and love you and love you. But Christ Jesus gave us the most ultimate kind of love in dying on the cross for our sin. And when we tell others, there will be opponents. But God has given us this wonderful grace in order to believe in him and also in order to suffer for him. And then Paul says something really interesting. He says, take courage. He's trying to tell him to take courage because he said, you know what? I know that you're all worried and concerned that I'm here in prison and I know that I'm struggling and I'm suffering. Maybe I've been beaten a couple of times. I don't have the same food. There's mice running around or rats running around. The conditions are pretty bad. But you know what? You're in the same boat. And because you're in the same boat is because when you stand up for Christ, there will be suffering. There will be opponents who will try to rule you out, to get rid of you, make your testimony for naught, and to have no effect in the way you live. But now, Paul is saying, the way you live is the way in which you can honor Christ Jesus, that you choose to be part of his kingdom, that you stand firm like the Macedonian phalanx in the unity of standing for Christ. And that you're working together in one purpose. And verse 30 says, Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have," They were all worried. Paul's in prison. He's doing terrible. But Paul's saying, hey folks, it's no different than where you are. You're going to be in the same, same suffering. You're going to be in the same joy. Remember, this is a letter of joy that Paul wrote to the church. He's all excited about the work that they're going to do. He's all excited about Lydia and the believers that were down by the river. And he's all excited about the Philippian jailer and all the criminals and convicts who heard of the gospel. And he's saying it's not going to be a cakewalk. It's not going to be easy, but it's a joy. And I'm so excited that God is working in your heart and working in your church. And you need to take courage because it's not the end. There is one who controls the end and will not give any quarter to the devil. And that is God the Father and Christ Jesus. And we will stand one day in the presence of a holy Savior. And he will say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because we lived in the right kingdom. Because in the midst of conflict we stood firm in unity. And we worked together for one purpose. We took courage. On this trip, establish Christ as the head of, the, of your purpose and your, your life, the head of this church. On this trip, be serious about being part of the kingdom of God, a believer, so that people will know by the things that you say and you do that you are a believer and a servant of Jesus Christ. Make prayer a major part of the trip. Make it a major part of our lives, a major part of this church. Pray for each other and pray that God's will will be done in our lives. Cherish the worship and the fellowship. As Brother Dan told us, this will be great times together of fellowship. As your youth go, uh, Jacob, they'll have great times. and Cherish that time together and the fellowship that you have so you'll remember it. and It will be a highlight of your faith. When God leads you in this work, follow Him. If it, even if it means suffering and getting out of our comfort zone and even persecution because a lot of people will tell us that's a stupid thing to do. I had, a, I had somebody tell me that their child who felt called into the missionary work was doing a stupid thing because they could have gone to college and gotten a, a great degree that the world offers and then gotten a great job and a great pension And they wanted to go off and do missionary work, and they thought that was the craziest thing of all to do. But see, they weren't in the kingdom of God. And we need to understand that we aren't to wait or hesitate by serving Christ Jesus and being part of his kingdom. That's what we need to do in face of conflict. The world doesn't want us to follow Christ, but joy comes in following him. We're going to have an invitation. I'm going to ask the musicians to come Send the light, number 595 in your hymn book. But God is calling us to send the light, to tell people. And that's what we're being able to do. We're going to have an invitation here. If God is calling you to consider uh, asking Christ into your heart, then we want you to come forward and let us know. We can share with you what that means. Coming and being part of our church whatever God might be leading you to do to let the church know so that we can pray for you after our hymn of invitation. And uh, we're going to have all of the, I believe, all the builders for Christ to come up and all of the youth to come up. And we're going to pray over them a prayer of, 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 of unity and, and just blessing as we send them forth. So let's stand and sing, Send the Light.